0: Uh, Write some things down. Give you some scripture verses. We'll look at our text in John chapter 19. John chapter 19. uh, We've been going through the statements of Jesus on the cross. And I was uh, sharing with another pastor how long it's taken me to do this. Kind of bemoaning the fact. But at the same time, it's been so rich for me. I hope it has been for you. But uh, after uh, praying about. Uh, this, not the sermon, but this, uh, these themes, because there are so many themes here. One of the things that uh, captured my heart was in the book of Revelation. The Bible says there in Revelation two, four, and five that the church at Ephesus was a was a busy church. It was a good church. It was a doctrinally straight church, but uh, they they had lost their their first love. They still loved the Lord but they didn't love him the way they used to love him. I think it was H.A. Ironside who pastored the Moody Church in Chicago that said, if there was ever a time in your life when you loved and served Jesus more than you did today, then you're backslidden. And sometimes we think about being backsliding as in all types of gross sin, but it's really the affections of our heart that leads us to those other things. But also in Revelation chapter 2, the Lord said, if you don't deal with this, he said, or else, he said, or else, there's a consequence. And he said, I will come and I will remove your candlestick. In, in Revelation 1, he says, the candlestick is a local church. And he says, if you do not begin to love me supremely the way you used to love me, he said, you're not going to have a church A church can have its greatest organization, it can have great leaders, it can have great people, can do all kinds of good things. But if we do not love the Lord Jesus Christ with all that we have, because of who He is, worthy of all of that, then we will not have a church. I don't mean just the way that God intends, I mean not have a church. And so uh, I don't like the word unapologetically. Sometimes I think people use that as a kind of an in-your-face kind of thing. We stand for the truth unapologetically. And I know what people mean for that, that the truth stands on its own. But I, I, I believe that the Lord has had me to go through these themes and all the attached themes here with Christ on the cross. If no one else but for me... To help me to love Him more. I hope it's created a desire in your heart to love Him more, too. We'll look at that here in John chapter 19, too. It's for for your health, your spiritual health, for for your children, for your grandchildren, for the health of our church. If Jesus tarries, that we will be a church that loves Christ with all that we have and all that we know. When I began in ministry in 1977... As a 19-year-old uh, young man in college in a very tiny church in Dayton, Tennessee, um, I really didn't know what to expect. I had very few expectations. Uh, those of you that know me well know that I am not a big dreamer. Now, there's, there's some problems with that, but uh, there's also some problems with, with being a dreamer. Uh, David Gibbs, the Christian attorney, said one time, he said many times, not all of the time, But he said many times, vision, as Christian leaders, is nothing but raw ambition. You have to be careful with that. Nehemiah had a vision. It was for the glory of God. I didn't have a lot of dreams, but I did have some desires. And I don't mean that one is better than the other, as long as they're subjected to to following God. But one of my desires, in fact, the dominant desire of my life was, was to help people. To, to come to know Christ personally, and then to, to develop in them uh, the capacity to give them the tools to know how that they could do that, and then also to to help them, to equip them to know to how to serve Him. And kind of a parallel theme with that was God gave me a, a burden for families. That's kind of it in a nutshell. I never... Had a dream of being a senior pastor. I I wanted to be a shepherd. I wanted to help people. I never dreamed of standing on a stage. I I didn't have these these dreams. I remember hearing a great preacher. If I said his name, uh, you would know him. He preached here twice. He's in heaven now. In fact, I was thinking about him this morning. I don't know why. He passed away when he was sixty years old, um, because of some disease. But uh, a man that influenced my life, he had a, a well-known sermon. It was a powerful sermon. And one of his points in the message was, "Was you need to have a vision. You need to have a vision. And uh, he said, now, the church that I pastored, because he resigned and left the church, the church that I pastored, he said, that church didn't happen. He said, I would go to bed at night, and I, w- I would think about it, and I would see all these people in the pews filled. He said, I I saw that. I saw that before it happened. And he would challenge the congregants or or the the people that were attending the conference, "Uh, you need to see some things to make sure that it happens. And I I was a little bit conflicted. I kind of felt guilty sometimes because I was more of a process guy and felt like I was better with individuals and small groups and large groups and kind of struggled with that. Steve Robertson's daddy out there in the hills of North Carolina built a a great church, a large church. Uh, there in Walkertown, most of you have never heard it. I've been to that place. There's nothing there. It may have grown since I've been there. But there was nothing there. One stoplight, and he built a great church with with lots of people. That that doesn't always equate to greatness, but it was it was a great church with lots of people. And uh, and this great preacher preached that sermon there and he said boy you've got to see it and then he pointed over to the pastor brother bobby he said you some of you preachers are here tonight and you see this he said i'll guarantee you he said brother bobby saw this he saw this in his mind he saw it in his heart it captured him and boy he went on with the rhetoric it was powerful steve his son told me uh, bobby was just a a, a precious humble man and he was staying around and greeting everybody late late at night all the preachers all the, everybody had gone home thousands of people they'd all gone home and they were in the back and brother bobby the pastor was turning the lights out and steve was there he was on staff with him and that country acts he said you know steve he said i love i love brother so-and-so he's like my brother but you know when he was up there talking about seeing all these people he said steve i never saw nothing and Steve told me that. I just got tickled. I said, well, that's the way it is sometimes. It's not wrong to plan and to see some things, I suppose. But I, I had desires. Fast forward to today, most of the churches I, I served in, there weren't a lot, four of them. But three of them had some um, very serious financial challenges including this church and god used those experiences to shape my character and to build my faith and to equip me for a ministry that i never desired and if someone would have introduced it to me i would say well i don't i don't want that ministry and it was a ministry of of helping hurting people it was a ministry of helping uh, pastors that were discouraged and, and uh, things weren't going right. Maybe the money wasn't coming in. Things were going tough. And, and they just felt like, I, I, I want to get out of this. And I can't tell you how many times that I've been across a little table in a restaurant. And a, a man will begin to, and sometimes a little wife... And sometimes missionaries. I remember being with the missionaries. And I could tell his wife was beaten down. And God just put it in my heart. My wife and I were there with her. I said, ma'am, do you ever struggle with depression? And she began to weep. And she said, I can't even go hear my husband preach. It's not anything wrong with him. I love my husband. But the weight of the ministry is so heavy upon me. I go to an office next door so I can hear him. And she began to pour these things out. And God has given me a ministry that, that I never wanted. And I never asked for. But it's one I have. Many years ago I heard this and I believe this. that if, if you will take care of the depth of your life that God will take care of the breadth of your ministry. And I believe that. I think we have a lot of people that want a large ministry, but they don't want a large heart. They want to be well-known among men, but not well-known among God. Take care of the depth of your life. You see, the, the foundation of your ministry comes from your life message. And your life message is a story, your story of how God has used you, and it includes your failures, it includes your faults, it includes some negatives in there. And my friends, listen, this is all introductory. I'm going to take us to the message in a moment. The very things that you run from in life are the things that are going to help you in the long run. And these are the things, these are the adversities, the troubles, the trials, the sorrow. They equip you and they prepare you. And one of those those tools is suffering. And the Lord Jesus Christ had to suffer to equip him for his ministry, his present ministry of identifying with his people. He had to suffer. What are you going through right now that's difficult, that you want to run, that this wasn't in your vision, this wasn't in your dream. In fact, it was a it's a nightmare. And you want to run from it. Uh, I, I was getting my treatment on yesterday, and uh, my daughter was helping me with it. My wife's out of town. I'll tell you about that at the end of the service. And um, I just spoke up and I said, I, I hate this. I said, just every week. And I said, I, I, but I'm grateful for it. I remember used to, it was a, it was a monthly IV. Now it's subcutaneous where they have these needles in my stomach. I don't have a port. They just, thousands and thousands and thousands of these pricks. But uh, I used to have a monthly IV, and so uh, I had an IV pole, and I'd wait for the home health care nurse to show up. And uh, I'd sit there, and I'd battle this thing. But I knew if I, didn't, if I didn't have it, I wouldn't be able to help you. I wouldn't be able to do things with my family, though I'm limited a little bit. I wouldn't be able to do some things. There's a scripture in James chapter 1. That talks about counted all joy, count it all joy when you fall into trials and temptations. And I'd already set that pole up. I was waiting on Becky to come, and Becky's had an influence, and all three of my girls going into uh, medical fields. Just waiting there, and my attitude wasn't right. And I looked up at that pole. And I said, you know, without this treatment, I I couldn't, I may not even live. Begin to straighten my attitude out, get my mind wrapped around it right. And I literally said to that old stupid pole, I said, you, you are my friend. You represent suffering, you represent pain, but you're my friend. And it helped me. And I thought about that little story last night when I was talking to my daughter. I said, "I, I just... I get weary of this. What are you weary of? Are you having trouble in your marriage? Do you have a prodigal? Have you lost your job? Are you suffering in in some form? Listen, the things that you run from are the things that will help you and that God will use in your life. And the Lord Jesus had to suffer He had to suffer so he could be equipped to fulfill his present role. There's a scripture in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. We looked at it last week, but I want to highlight it again. And it says, Though he, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he were a son, he was a son of God, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus had to learn how to suffer as a human. That's what it means. God doesn't have to learn anything. He knows anything. But Jesus, God confined himself to a human body. And he had to learn some things about suffering. And he had to obey the proper procedures that you and I have to obey as we go through suffering. And as I was uh, praying over my message, I just don't write something down. I, I go over it and purge it, and we wish I'd purge it more, don't you? And uh, and then I pray over it. And I looked at it. Look at this uh, in Hebrews 5 8. It says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the, the things. It's plural. Not the thing, because if you read the context in Hebrews 5. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestling with God before he goes to Calvary. By the things, he suffered multiple suffering areas in his life. And he had to learn to suffer as a human being. Sometimes we don't want to pray. We're hesitant to come to God with our problems because we feel like, God's too busy, He's, this is too small, he really, he really doesn't understand this. He's, I mean, he created the universe, he doesn't understand this. I've met Christians and certainly people that are lost, but even Christians that have stopped praying and, and they're angry and they're bitter at God, they feel like, well, God doesn't care for me. I've just gone through, I've, I've gone through this stuff. I have I have a disease, I've lost a loved one. God doesn't care. But when God saved you, listen, your redemption not only included being delivered, the word salvation means deliverance, it means being delivered from hell. But he also came to deliver you from you, from your selfishness, and, and he also came to deliver you from, from the discouragement of the burden, not the burden. Limitations 3, is at it 27. It said, it's good for a young man to bear the, the yoke in his youth. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Don't remove, don't remove hard times from your kids. Let, let them suffer a little bit. Let, let, them, let them struggle. The suffering that Jesus endured when he was on the cross equipped him for his present ministry. And you and I can pray with confidence, knowing not only, listen, not only that he hears me, most of you believe, well, God hears me, but he cares for you. He cares deeply for you, and he cares, and he feels. He's a God of affection, and he's a God of identification. That's why he became a man. I want you to read the text with me here in John chapter 19 and verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. That's the fifth statement of Jesus on the cross. Now, there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge of vinegar with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, here's the sixth statement, I'll not speak to this today. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He died on his own. He gave up his spirit. He yielded his spirit to God. There are three truths in this text about the Lord Jesus. We've looked at one, the obedience of Jesus. Verse 28, it says that he accomplished, knowing all things were now accomplished as the scripture was now fulfilled. And We spent a lot of time on that. He said these things and did certain things to fulfill the will of God. He was concerned with the will of his Father, with accomplishing the will of his Father. I like what Henry Blackaby said in in his book, Experiencing God. Find out where God is moving and and become a part of that. And and just honor the Lord. Follow the Lord. Obey Him. Just recently there was something... uh, that came our way, and I really did not want to to do it. Um, not because it was wrong; it was a good thing. I didn't want to do it for several reasons. But uh, first, I said no, and then after thinking about it, and something else had happened, I realized this is an opportunity for you to, to encourage someone to bless someone. And so, reluctantly, I I obeyed, not running into the house with a fire hose, saying, oh, yes, there was some reluctance there. The obedience of Jesus. You see this on the cross when he was here. Secondly, we see not only the obedience of Jesus, but the suffering of Jesus. He said, I thirst. I thirst. Of course, you know that he's not only suffering Uh, physically but he's also suffering spiritually as he receives and we ended the message this way last week he, he received the brunt of the wrath of his father for sin and that that grieved his father's heart for for the lord jesus to to pay the penalty of the law in full but he did that and he suffered physically. We speak often of the, of the suffering of Jesus on the cross physically, but he also suffered spiritually. And they offered him a narcotic of sorts. Notice in verse 29, now there was a set a vessel full of vinegar. They filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And there were some other things that were mixed in with that. And they would do this for people that were there. It was more of a narcotic to kind of... Uh, help them become numb and jesus refused that you'll notice there in verse 29 the bible says he put it to his mouth he's coming out of the three hours after he had literally received from 9 a.m to 3 p.m 9 to 12 he suffered physically suffered physically the whole way but dominantly physically from noon to three he suffered spiritually when he said my god my god why hast thou forsaken me this is about three o'clock now this is at the end So the wrath has been removed. And now he's saying, I thirst. I thirst. And they they mistake that. Well he he's about to die. He said it it is finished right after this, and then he yielded up the spirit. He really doesn't anything to drink, he's about to die. He's speaking not of a physical thirst, but I was so thirsty for for the fellowship of my father. Oh that God would give us that Psalm 42. As a deer panteth for water, there's a commentary in Matthew when Matthew wrote about this in Matthew 27 verses 33 and 34. When they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. That's the narcotic. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. He didn't do that for two reasons. Number one, because the high priest could not drink; his work was so important, he could not have his senses dulled. The scriptures forbade them to to partake of strong, what the Bible called strong drink. Could not do that. And now here is the Lord Jesus on the cross, and he could not only take up partake of it then, but secondly, he did not want his senses numbed. He he wanted listen listen carefully. This touches me. He wanted to to experience the full degree of suffering, not because he enjoyed it, but it was for your behalf. By the way, this is not forbid anesthesia before surgery. Aren't you glad for that? When God performed surgery on Adam, He gave him some anesthesia. And put him out while he took the rib, put him to sleep. But Jesus' mission here was was to bear our sins and to suffer in our place. These two words, I thirst, I thirst. Eric, would you bring my phone? I think it's right over there. I left it there. I didn't bring it with me. Thank you. I appreciate that. I put something on there. I want to read from here. Appreciate it. Here is the creator of the universe, and he's thirsty, in need of refreshment. Here's Almighty God, suffering in need of rest. His lips are parched, P-A-R-C-H-E-D, parched. And he is suffering from thirst, I thirst. One writer put it this way, listen to this. One day I came to him, I was so thirsty. Him speaking of God. I asked for water, my throat was so dry. He gave me water that I never dreamed of. But for this water, my Lord had to die. He said, I thirst, yet he made the rivers. He said, I thirst, yet he made the sea. I thirst, said the king of the ages. In his great thirst, he brought water to me. And then there's a second line. Now there's a river that flows as clear as crystal. It comes from God's throne above. And like a river, it wells up inside me bringing mercy and life-giving love he said I thirst yet he made the rivers he said I thirst yet he made the sea I thirsted the king of all ages in his great thirst he brought water to me it's amazing just to contemplate that God became a man and it's it's a fundamental fact of, of christian doctrine and yet people reject it because because of the enemy for one thing he, he wants us to reject the deity of christ but also because we cannot comprehend it so i was thinking about this i thought about first timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 the bible says without controversy or without debate great is the mystery of godliness Now godliness is the fruit of of what God does in your life. There's a mystery to sanctification. I don't understand how God can take this bundle of flesh and and put His Holy Spirit and sanctify a man and a woman and make us like Christ. There's a mystery of godliness, but also contained in that mystery. Watch it. Look at it. God was manifest in the flesh. We were talking in our life group this morning at the end, a couple of us, about how... There are just some wonders, W-O-N-D-E-R, just wonder. You can't put God in a test tube. You can't put him under a microscope. There's a mystery to it. A.W. Pink said the Lord Jesus was not, listen carefully, was not a divine man. He was not a humanized God. He was the God-man. Forever God and now forever man did you know he is a man in heaven right now not with scars but with fresh wounds jesus lived his life as a man he died as a man he ascended to heaven as a man he's there waiting for us in luke chapter 2 and verse 52 the bible says that he increased in wisdom in stature he grew physically he grew intellectually as a man in John chapter 4 and verse 6, the Bible says he was wearied with his journey. Almighty God, wearied. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2, the Bible says he was hungry. He'd been fasting for 40 days and nights. He was hungry. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 38, he'd been ministering all day. And they were taking a trip across Galilee in a boat. And the Bible says he was asleep asleep on a pillow. He was tired. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 6, the Bible says that Jesus marveled, Almighty God marveling at the unbelief of the people because he was a man too. In John chapter 11 and verse 33, when his friend died, the Bible says that Jesus groaned. Now, groan is not an utterance. It doesn't have words. He groaned. In John 11.35, two verses later, standing there at the grave of his friend, the shortest verse in the English Bible is Jesus wept. A little boy was memorizing some verses in the Bible and he started out with a good one. Jesus wept because it was easy. And so his parents brought him to the pastor and said, and he's learned a verse. And they whispered in the ear of the pastor's ear, it's John 11, 35. And the pastor knew it, He said, okay. And he knelt down to the boy and he said, your mom and dad said, you have a new verse for me. He said, I do. He said, what is it? He said, God cried. And that's what the verse is. Jesus wept, God cried. In Mark chapter one and verse thirty five, the Bible says Jesus prayed to his father as a man. In Luke chapter ten and verse twenty-one, the Bible says he rejoiced. He rejoiced. And here in our text in John nineteen twenty eight, the Bible says that he was he was thirsty. As a man he was thirsty. One writer was writing about this scripture in John nineteen twenty eight and here's what he wrote. This evidenced his humanity because God does not thirst. The angels do not thirst. We shall not thirst in glory. The Bible says in Revelation seven sixteen, they, speaking of God's people, shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. But here's what he said, I like this. but we thirst now because we are human and living in a world of sorrow. And that was our Lord. The night before he was crucified, He never said a word. They slapped him, they mocked him. He said a few things to Pilate. As a sheep, lamb led to the slaughter. He opened not his mouth, never defended himself. But in the end, in untold suffering and complete agony, he cries out and he says, I'm thirsty. Not to gain pity, but it was only the expression of the utter agony of losing the fellowship with his Father and the physical agony of the cross. He suffered for you and he suffered for me. One of the tensions... In the Christian faith if you've been a Christian really not even for a long time and you talk to people about the Lord you'll hear something like this how can a good god allow suffering and evil how can a good god allow bad things to happen because if he's almighty that means he he can't do anything to stop it and if he's good He's allowing bad to exist. And these arguments come forth. There are a number of ways to address the issue. But I'll tell you, one of the most precious issues, answers to the issue of this. Is that God himself did not remove himself from suffering. The father suffered at Calvary. The son suffered at Calvary. At Calvary. The Holy Spirit suffered at Calvary. Particularly the Lord Jesus Christ, but the Father and the Spirit, they all, they all suffered at the Calvary. And it's at the cross we find that God is not indifferent to your suffering. God not, didn't just save you to take you to heaven. If that had been the case, He'd have saved you and taken you out. He saved you to equip you to do something for him and it's probably something that you didn't ask for or you didn't know that you could do. But one of the one of the courses is failure, limitation, disappointment, obscurity. So it's easy to come to a conference and hear, yeah, get a vision. God's going to give you this. What do you do when those things shatter? Listen, my friend, God has suffered. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3, it speaks about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is despised and rejected of men. The word despise means to have contempt for. It It means he's worthless. And this is the way people treated him. He was contemptible to them. He's worthless. You ever grow up and feel like you're the last one picked on the team? You hated recess in school? My wife has a real uh, appreciation. I'm very sensitive. I'm not being silly. I'm not being funny now. She has a real burden. When I say burden, that's not the right word, but a, a tenderness for people that struggle with their weight. She moved to a she grew up in Michigan and she hated school because the kids made fun of her because of her weight. If she were here, she would share this with you. She would pinch her stomach to cause her stomach to hurt, so she wouldn't have to lie to her mom and say, Mom, my stomach's hurting. And she would stay at home and she began to just eat things. And people say cruel things to you because of your appearance. Maybe you, I remember when I was in Bible college, we had a guy that was kind of straight laced. and I mean, he did everything by the book and... (laughs) We had all of the in, in the in the bathroom. You know, you got all these sinks there, and we had a guy that was in there, and he's brushing his teeth, and he bent over and he kind of put his mouth on the on the faucet, you know, rather than scooping up water. And uh, Mister Straightlay said to you, "What are you doing?" Did not your mom teach you any better? And he stood up and he said, "My mom died when I was a boy," and he walked out. You never know who you're talking to god suffered he is despised he is rejected the word rejected means to not be sufficient to be left behind it's it's adjacent to the word despised here's what i'm trying to get you to see: he understands he's a man of sorrows. now jesus knew how to laugh I had a friend one time said the bible never records jesus laughing No, but he did write the book of Proverbs to the Holy Spirit and talks a lot about that. And he did rejoice and does rejoice. And he sang over his church. And he sang hymns. God's full of joy. But my Savior is also a man of sorrows. You know, the only thing worse than not having joy is a person that just does not have a capacity for compassion or identifying with people that are hurting. A man of sorrows. Now look at this. Acquainted with grief. The word "acquainted" means to know by personal experience. It's not like we think. Well, this is my best friend. This is an acquaintance. That's not what it means. It means oh, I'm acquainted with that. I know that really good. Well, I, I failed a lot. Got a lot of scars. He is. A, look at this. He is acquainted. Acquainted with grief. This is your savior. The God-man. I was thinking this morning about this this wonderful song. When Paula's mom passed away, we had it sung at her funeral. She had a very difficult uh, life and a very difficult death. Paula's mom, wonderful Christian. Some of you know this song. We ought to sing in our church sometime. We'll teach it to you. It's been many, many years You'll remember the words are so powerful when i when I was thinking I just put this in the message this morning when I was thinking about this, I thought about the guy that wrote this you know people that write lyrics uh, are very special people, not just the people that write the songs and the and the notes and things, but the the lyricists the and the capacity to do that. the guy that wrote this what i'd like to know what came out of his heart, let me do some research on it. Listen, listen. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As burdens press and the cares distress and the way goes weary and long. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation sore? When for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it anything to him? Does he care? And then here's the chorus. It's repeated after each line. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know... I know my Savior cares. You see, when Jesus when Jesus died, he died physically. He went through death for you. The gospel is a gospel not just of resurrection but of death. You cannot have resurrection without death. You can have life and then death. But Jesus went through death to identify you as you go through death, and then he went through resurrection as only he could to give you hope. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses one through four, over, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received. Have you ever received the gospel? Have you ever received Christ? wherein ye stand, this is our position. By which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what i preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. There are some people that believe the facts, but they've never trusted Christ personally for them. They're lost church members. Well, this grabbed me when I was going over this this week. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. I want to stop there. Paul went out for about a three-year period of time into the deserts of Arabia and was taught the gospel by God himself. And he said, I deliver unto you that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins. I delivered unto you that which I also received. Somebody gave it to Paul, and now he's delivered to someone else. Are you in the process of giving the gospel to other people? Somebody gave it to you. Your mom, your dad, your pastor, your friends, a gospel tract. Somebody gave it to you. Are you delivering? Are you just enjoying what God has given to you? How that Christ died for our sins. There's the death according to the scriptures. He was buried. That means that he was dead. There are liberals that believe he didn't die. And they have all these theories. But Oh, he was dead. He was gone. Physically, he died. His body became cold. It began to, to go through the process of, of death and decay for those three days. But he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It's a gospel of resurrection and death. It's not either or, it's both and. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We're all dying, but listen, He came to save you and it's a free gift, have you ever? Do you know Christ? Have you been born again? Do you know Him personally? He suffered for you and He wants to save you. And He wants to not only save you, He wants to identify as your Savior in heaven. I read a wonderful story a couple of weeks ago. I put in the message when I was preparing this about a man that went on a mission trip in Brownsville, Texas. And they went with this group that was helping to build homes. And so he said, I'm not a builder. And he said, so we were putting up drywall and and brick on the outside and so he said we were hammering all day long my job was hammering nails he said the first night I went home he said my forearms were so were so tired they were just so beaten down he said the next night we went out we did the same thing and he said I was the hammer guy one of many guys up there just hammering he said I I need to find a a Walgreens or something he said "I've, I've got to get some being gay or something put it on my arms and and find some Tylenol, some Aleve or something to help me because this this is, this is tough on the arms. They were there for about two weeks. He said, on the very last day, a vendor drove up to the place where they were at. And he got out and he had something, a little box in his hand. And he went up to the first five people he saw. And he said, I work with so-and-so and I, we would like for you to write a review. He thought, I guess they were professionals. They were just going to construction sites. I would like to write a for you to write a review on on this hammer. And he, he had five hammers and he gave out hammers and this man that wrote this testimonial, he said, I was one of the guys that got one of the hammers. And uh, he said, This hammer costs three hundred dollars. And the guy the guys think a three hundred dollar hammer. I'd never pay three hundred dollars, I'd pay thirty dollars Not three hundred. And he said, what, what makes it so special for a, a hammer to, to, to be worth $300? And he said, well, it's made out of titanium. And he said, when you, when you pound, it absorbs the shock and it reduces the fatigue, the muscle fatigue in your arm. So the guy laid down his $30 hammer and picked up the $300 hammer. And he began to use it. He said, this is Unbelievable. This is remarkable. He said, where's this hammer been? All of these, he said, this is the last day we're here. And because he gave it to him, he got to take the hammer home. But here's what he wrote. He was a Christian man. Here's what he wrote. He said, if the vendor would have shown up on the first day and handed me the $300 hammer, I never would have known its true worth. He said... I had never felt the difference between a $30 hammer and a $300 hammer. You, you would not look forward to heaven. You would not appreciate the Lord Jesus if you went through life unstained. That doesn't mean that God sends this stuff your way. God is not the agent of evil. But the man Jesus, the God Man Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, came, and we was hanging on the cross. He said, "I thirst," which was literal and metaphorically means that He suffered every withal for you, so that you can come to Him, and you can say, "God, I need some help." He is a suffering. Savior. He cares for you. He died for you. He wants to save you. I want you to bow your heads with me today, if you would. You've been such a patient audience, and I appreciate it.